podcast number 26 at joettecalories.com, and here's what we have coming up. Hi, it's Paola here, and I'm really looking forward to Joette's podcast today. We're going to look at two important subjects. The first one looks at selecting a remedy and learning how to commit to that remedy. So in other words, we're trying to avoid running around like a chicken with its head cut off. And then the second subject we're going to talk about is really important. It looks at whether or not Joette's practical homeopathy, the Banerjee protocols and um, other protocols like that, whether or not they are safe when you compare them to classical homeopathy. This is an important subject because you really want to be confident and comfortable when you're doing Joette's style of homeopathy. Okay, so here we go. to be here with Joette again. Hi, Joette. How are you? Hi, Paola. Very well. How about you? Good. Doing good. All right. So we've got another podcast today for you guys, another homeopathy nugget that we're going to learn and discuss today. And today's subject is running around like a chicken with its head cut off. <laughs> I think it's Lara that first coined that term in one of the classes. Lara is the gal that Joette teaches the classes with. So go ahead and jump into that, Joette. What, do, what does Lara mean by that? Well, I think what she's talking about, and I think this is what we've all been uh, uh, subject to, as especially as mothers and grandmothers, is that we try a homeopathic medicine or we try a certain food or we try whatever modality we've decided we're going to start with, and we don't see instant relief. Let's say it's our child. And because we're so closely connected to our children and grandchildren, we can't help but want instant relief. It's horrible to see our children suffer. So we want something to happen now. And instead of waiting the prescribed certain amount of time for a homeopathic medicine to act, we say, well, maybe it wasn't that. We second guess ourselves. Maybe it really wasn't heap ourselves. What if I was wrong? What if it really was our Seneca album? And so then we go to our Seneca album. We never gave Heap Ourself a chance. And let's talk about it as, as an acute situation, okay? So let's say for a sore throat. So we automatically go to, for example, Heap Ourself, which is a very good choice for many kinds of sore throats. And if we don't see a reaction, we think, uh-oh, we're doomed. We got to go to something else. Or we say, okay, I can't stand it. The child is crying. Here's what I urge mothers grandmothers, parents to do. Take a chill pill. <laughs> Calm yeah. down. If the child is not done. And, and by chill pill, you mean probably an Ignatia, yeah, right? Probably. <laughs> I'm, I'm, say, I'm, I'm giving it to you rhetorically. Take a chill pill. Calm down. If the child is not dying, if they're not hemorrhaging, you're not rushing on the way to the hospital, and all it is is a sore throat or an ear pain or teething or sleeplessness. I realize how horrible this can be on a family when somebody in that family is not well or they're out of sorts. But you have to learn how to assess what is really dangerous and what is not. And I hearken back to Dr. Robert Mendelson his book, How to Raise a Healthy Child in Spite of Your Doctor. He was not a homeopath. He was a pediatrician. He died some couple of decades ago by his book. I repeat this book all the time because this is where you get your gut spunk and moxie. Mm -hmm. Or another way of putting it, of calming down over every little thing the child has. And, and I also hear, let me, let me bring it in from my, from my Catholic perspective. 
have more kids. Because if you only have one, every little thing is a catastrophe. I see it all the time. I know how it was for me when I had one child. The more kids I had, the more it it rolled off the back of my my uh, my my back because it was something that I'd seen enough times now. Croup didn't scare me anymore. You know, an ear infection didn't frighten me. Teething didn't freak me. I was I got accustomed to it. But if you don't have the the advantages of having more than one child, then by all means you want to read Robert Mendelson's book. And I don't mean once. I mean, keep it by your bedside. Read it time and time again. Because if you are freaking and you're acting like a chicken with its head cut off, you're going to make poor decisions. Your decisions will be made out of fear. And you will jump from remedy to remedy, modality to modality. And in the end, you'll have a mishmash. In Italian, it's called a scrambol, a mess. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Well, there's a little quote here that I I pulled up real quick by Eleanor Roosevelt. And she said, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You are able to say to yourself, I lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. Yes. Well, and as Dr. Mendelson says, the danger to children is not in childhood diseases. Not anymore. We don't have... We don't have uh, uh, polio anymore right. in, this war, in our world. Right. We don't have cholera anymore. Uh, we don't have tuberculosis. I'm not saying we never have it at all, ever. But I'm saying it's not a, it's not a looming threat. Right. What is a threat to most children's well-being are accidents. Right. So it's the accidents that cause the most devastating of all conditions that can happen during childhood. Right. So. If you understand and you read in advance what chicken pox looks like and what to expect, if you know what a cough looks like and you read in advance and you learn some of these methods, the homeopathic methods, using good nutrition, taking you know, uh, soda pop out of their lives at an early age so that they're not saturated with something that does them no good and can even do some harm sometimes. So you want to... You want to educate yourself. We have to do that. And the only way to address fear face on is education. You're right. I mean, we have, um, I think the thing that I run into the most when I'm helping friends with homeopathy is a huge, huge amount of fear with fevers. But if you read Dr. Mendelssohn's book, I mean, he lays it out right there. Keep him hydrated. You're going to be fine. Right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I, my daughter had a fever this week. I didn't even give her homeopathy. And right. so later when I saw, oh, she's kind of getting an ear infection. So then I, her, I gave her Pulsatilla, which is um, actually a Banerjee protocol. Pulsatilla 30 for the ear infection, Chamomilla 30 every 30 minutes when there's SOS acute pain, but her ear infection never got that bad. She was just kind of like, I feel something in my ear. So we did the Pulsatilla. Anyways, yeah, it's that knowledge and keeping them hydrated. And that's all you got to know. And I remember the first time my kid had a fever, my little middle child loves fevers of 105, Joette, 105. <laughs> I had diarrhea. I was so stressed out about it. And I was, right. I was taking Ignatia. I even think I took Gelsemium because of the diarrhea anxiety, you know? And, yes. and now like after I got through that first 105, the second one was a little scary, but it was fine. I didn't do Tylenol. I just kept them hydrated. I was like reading Dr. Mendelssohn's book. Like it was my Bible. Yep. You know? And now I'm just like, Oh, cool. You have a fever. Just go drink some water and lay down. I don't even give them a remedy. Yes, right. Exactly. 
Exactly. So when we say read Dr. Mendelssohn's book or read the blog that you get that from, from, from me or from whomever else it might be, mm-hmm. don't just read it and say, okay, well, that's information and assume that it's stuck in your brain. If right. you're freaking, you better underline that in that book and right. now put a paper clip or a little tab in that, on that page right. in that book and go back to it and read it again and again and again. Right. I give that book um, at baby showers when someone's having a baby. Excellent idea. Dr. Mendelssohn's book. It's used. And I write him a little note in there. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Great gift, Paula. Thanks. Yep. I like that one. Well, and I've written an, uh, an article called Get Your Kids High. So yes. if you want to just Google that, it's, I talk about fevers and the importance of, of fevers being a, a, a curative aspect of uh, being sick for children. You actually spoken a lot about fevers, not just in that get your kids high. I think even before you started doing the Banerjee protocols and kind of, oh, yes, yes. That, that was one of your biggest things. And so I remember my friend's daughter had a fever. And she actually went to medical school. She did not complete because she realized that it was basically selling drug school, not so much medical school. And so she quit. But she inherently feared fevers. And I think it was part of her education. And I remember she was freaking out one night about her kid's fever. And I just sent her three articles written by Joette Calabrese on fevers, fevers, fevers. And she said she read those articles over and over again that weekend. And it just helped calm her down. Mm-hmm. And she got through it for the first mm-hmm. time without any Tylenol. And now she's so much more comfortable with it. Well, here's the thing. I, I wonder if doctors, pediatricians, believe that children should be given Tylenol for fevers nowadays. Because the American mm-hmm. Academy of Pediatrics says... Finally. Yes, finally. It's taken a long time and they've, they have declared, I think it was about two years ago, that fevers are curative and that they, or they can be curative. Perhaps they're more, more careful about their, their verbiage. And they have made it, I think, abundantly clear that, they're, that it's the mother who's forcing the pediatrician yes. to give something. Now, they're blaming the mothers. But I'm going to take the blame off the mothers, even though I do believe that we mothers need to get a grip and learn how to treat our children ourselves without running to the pediatrician for every little thing. But I believe that the reason that mothers do that is because they've been trained by the pediatricians to go to them when their children have fevers. Right. And what do the doctors always give? Tylenol. What did they give in, in years past? aspirin. So they've been training mothers and grandmothers and even older than that to go to the doctor as soon as, oh, if there's a problem, just go to your doctor and he'll know what to do. And that's what was done. Yes, the mothers are asking for it now, but it's only because they've been well-trained. Right. Right. I think that's what I like even about the essential oils movement. You know, aside from the fact that they're useful, is because it's finally given moms something to busy themselves with. Yes. yes. <laughs> just letting, just let them Absolutely. Absolutely. Keep them yes. hydrated, but yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I feel like we've kind of gone off on a tangent about fevers, but, but it really does relate to running around like a chicken with a head cut off. So if your kid is burning a fever, we're talking about an acute illness right now, but this will apply to chronics in a minute. You know, you don't give them, oh, it's a fever of 102, belladonna, belladonna. Oh, wait, shoot, shoot, shoot. I shouldn't have been using belladonna. That's not high enough of a fever for belladonna, so I'm going to go to Fairfoss. Okay, Two, two doses of Fairfoss. Oh, but she's really, really clingy and whiny and whimpering and wants me to hold her, so I'm going to switch to Pulsatilla now. Right. Like, I've heard of people doing five remedies in one day, Joette, for an right. acute. Right, right. And I'm right. like, no. 
Stick with it. Make your decision and stick with it. At least give four doses when it's an acute. Yeah, we say three to five in the study group classes. Yep. Yes. At least four doses. And I think that's important. You know, people will come to me a lot of times, and I'm sure you get this too. My kid's sick. I started them on Heparsulf. You know, whatever, whatever reasoning they came to Heparsulf, I started them this morning on Heparsulf. Do you think I'm right? Should I switch to Pulsatilla or whatever? And I say, my answer is always no. You've started it. So now we're going to stick with it. We've got to get through the, those three to five doses and see, see what happens. Is that right? Of an yes. Generally speaking, I would say it's right unless the child's much, much worse. Right. Every time you give the, 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 the um, heap ourselves, the child gets worse than ever. Then you might want to question it. But you want at least, what was your rationale? Did it go away? Is the child different now or is your thinking different? Or what if the child's exactly the same? No better, no worse. They're just keep going. Up. Keep going. Stay right. with it. Stay with it. You got to give that homeopathic a chance to act. It's not like aspirin, where you take an aspirin for a headache and it goes away. Right. It can be like that. I have seen it act like that. But if it doesn't, give the give the, the homeopathic a chance to fully act. And it can take several doses to do that. Well, I'm going back to kind of the subject of fevers. I have to tell people this remedy isn't going to make the fever go away. So don't expect that, you know, very new people to homeopathy have a fever of a hundred and, you know, the baby has a, or kid, not baby, but the child has a fever of 104 and they're, they're given two doses of belladonna. The fever's still here. I'm like, well, it's not Tylenol. This is going to usher, assist the fever to complete the illness. Yes, but it can abort the fever. It can do that. Okay. Yes. Yes. But, but that shouldn't be the expectation. That, that's not the goal. Right. We're not trying to necessarily, for an acute childhood illness, we're not necessarily trying to get rid of a fever. We're trying to get the child well, because the fever is just a symptom. It's mm-hmm. not the disease. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. say the child, of course, they, well, actually, we do say that in our society. Oh, my gosh. He's, I love this term, spiked a fever. Mm-hmm. I spiked a fever. <laughs> I, you know, it's, you have to emphasize these words because it's, it's talk that emphasizes the importance sure. of the word spike. Spiking a fever is a very positive thing in most circumstances for childhood illness. We want that fever to cook it off. We should okay. say he bloomed a fever. I hate yeah, the, cut, the like emotional, it. the yeah, emotional blossomed, right? Yeah, blossomed a fever. Yes, blossomed a curative symptom. Oh, what symptom is that? Oh, the fever. That will. That is a part of the curative action. Right. Yeah. You, if you think just about the, the wording we're using, that is really the problem because it, it ignites fear. It's the, so connotation is the emotional undertones that are associated with the word slender is better than scrawny, right? Yes. Right, I would prefer right. to be called slender, not right, scrawny. Right, well, right, right. We need to think of fevers as not Ruben being like, or obese. Right. 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 <laughs> Um, voluptuous, right? Exactly. Yes, so, right. <laughs> so, so we just need Ample. to change our, our rhetoric. When we, what did you say? Ample. Oh yes, very good. I like that. We can keep going with this. <laughs> so, so when we talk about normal childhood illness, use kind of change the way you think of it, and it's. We do use common sense, but the problem is common sense has been distorted. So we have to rearrange that thinking. Mm-hmm. We have to adjust our thinking. To this is new. For a lot of people, this right. is a different way of thinking. And the, you can't just 
say, I think I'll think differently. No, 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 no. You have to educate yourself with this kind of thinking. You better read. You better study. You better learn. And start with Dr. Robert Mendelson and go from there. And read these blogs that I put out that are free. Take courses. Get right. more books. And as you pick your remedy, stick to it. Unless they're worse. On the full three to five right. doses over the, over the prescribed period of time. Yes. Right. Exactly. And sometimes that takes a lot of fortitude to stick with it. Oh, you, know? you have to be a cowgirl. Yeah. You have to be able to buck the system. You've got to be able to lasso that cow and bring her down. You've right. got to be able to, you've got to have gut spunk and moxie back again. You've and in this case, cow is fear. The cow is your yes, fear. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it is a wrestle. So yeah, it's kind of coyote medicine. Right. <laughs> I like it. It's true. It does take guts. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes people who I, I see that don't follow through with protocols or succumb to the antibiotics or, and, and sometimes there's a good reason for yes, it. You know? Yes, and I don't, yeah, I, I also want to make that clear too, Paula. That is that there are certainly are times which we, in which we use conventional medicine. And if you absolutely don't know what to do and it looks dangerous, of course you get yourself to a diet. Right. And let's be foolish here. Right, and, let's, and if you want a full discussion on that, listen to the podcast on discernment that Joette and I had. Because we do want you to have that discernment. But basically we're saying... You know, I find that people that do kind of I th what I thought maybe it wasn't so serious and they've, it's because they haven't wrangled their fear and taken control over it. And, and running around with a chicken with your head cut off is a fear-based knee-jerk action, trying to do it and you're doing it wrong. Well, and I've also seen many parents and people for themselves as well go from doctor to doctor to doctor right. to doctor to doctor, modality to modality, and naturopath mm -hmm. and chiropractor and, mm -hmm. and acupuncturist and conventional doctor and functional doctor and homeopath. And they're just going all over the place desperately looking for a method that's going to cure them. And um, I believe that if you stay in one modality, you'll probably find some good answers. Right. Okay, so... Really what we're talking about here by not jumping from one remedy to another remedy or is, is especially when you're dealing with protocols for, for an illness, is respecting the protocols. I love that word. Well, yeah, because if, if you're saying, well, you know, if you have a little classical homeopathy training, well, but my child really seems more like phosphorus because he's sparkly and he's got a twinkle in his eye and he's artistic. I don't think I want to use that, that protocol. I'm just going to throw phosphorus in there. Or I don't think that um, my child um, is, um, it can handle a 200 potency, even though the Banerjee's say to use a 200. I think I'm going to use a 30. I would urge people not to do that. When you say we should be respecting these Banerjee protocols, it's based on knowledge of these doctors, the Banerjee's and their colleagues, seeing 100 patients per day there are 12 of them that are working in this clinic. That means there are 1,200 patients per day. At the end of a week, they've seen over 7,000 per week, and they've been doing this approximately, they've been seeing this many, for 150 years collectively. Yes, yeah, six days a week, yep. I mean, do you know what it reminds me of? I have always had this keen awareness when I was a young mom, I mean, pregnant with my first baby, and I have this awesome mother-in-law, and my mom is awesome too, and my mother-in-law has had, you know, 10 children, and I, boy, that's like a weight, that's like a, a, a knowledge and a life experience that I know I don't have, and so when, when she would give me advice, 
I, I was really careful to listen to her advice because I knew where she was coming from and I knew that she had information. But then I see some of my other friends kind of dismiss the advice, you know, like, oh no, I know better. And, and, I'm, and I look at them like, but you just have like one kid. And, you know, we have mothers and in intuition and I respect that too. But, but look at all, all the knowledge. And the advice. data. Yes. Just the of, data. Of our grandmothers that we're dismissing here. Yes. For mothers, you know. Yes, yes. It seems and that's, very and that's ten children every day for right. all those years. Yes. And she and and your mother in law, it sounds to me, from what you've told me, had a lot of innate knowledge. Yes, she did. And and I just think don't be naive. That's embarrassing. Like the ten years from now you're gonna be embarrassed. <laughs> don't yeah. be naive to not respect the protocols. Right, right. And then the, another aspect that's important about this not avoiding running around like you're a chicken with the head cut off is being organized and consistent. So, well, and that requires writing down what you see, what you saw when, when it started, when your child started getting the fever, what, what time of the day was it, and what, you, what remedy you chose, what, what you observed. Right. There was a fever plus diarrhea. How often, how frequently were the movements? How severe was the diarrhea? Was it loose stool or was it explosive watery? You, those are things that you, you will forget, especially if you have seen three children and they're all getting sick. Mm -hmm. Who had what when? So you want to right. jot it down. Now, you don't want to jot down absolutely every little thing. But those that are noteworthy should be noted. I tell people, you know, your Magic Markers podcast, and we talk about the Magic Markers of Improvement. We have intensity, duration, and frequency. If you don't know what to write down, I think those are three things that you want to write down. That's right. I think in, or, in being organized and consistent is also having distance. That's a part of this. When your child is hanging on you and saying, mom, 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 I'm still not well. Mom, mom, I'm still coughing. And, or your husband is saying, what are you going to do about this? Come on, let's do something. You have to have enough staying power and being grounded enough to say it requires time, a tincture of time. Mm -hmm. It takes time for these medicines to act. Don't expect me to just run my magic wand over them and correct everything within minutes. It takes some distance. You almost have to shut off your emotions for a while until you can see what's happening so you can get enough. Because if, if you are helping a friend and you're not... With, you, you don't have that child screaming in your lap or the, the, the father who is saying, come on, come on, and you have enough distance, you have the wherewithal. That's what you need in your own family sometimes. So it's learning how to be objective and detached. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I, I talk to friends all the time. No, do the remedy that you started with, three to five doses, report back, take notes if you have to. When I'm in the middle of a crisis in my own home, right. I, this helps me tremendously. Yes. I have to tell myself, okay, what would I tell them if I were them? Right. right. <laughs> yes. And I, that really, really does help. Like, well, this is what I would say. Or sometimes I'll say, you know, if I'm freaking out and I'll say, I'm going to email Joette or, you know, call the office and see if she has a quick minute. But then I have to tell myself, what is she going to tell me? I already know what she's going to tell me. She's going to tell me to stick with it or to, you yep. know, be patient and, so then I'm like, okay, well, then I don't have to call her. <laughs> and I don't, I don't call you all the time, but, but it's just, you know, this human instinct to help me fix help, it. Help, help someone, help. Yeah, but help. you got to think. If you're going to take this on and you want to learn how to cure your family yourself, then you have to have the guts to hold steady. Right. I think that's exactly right. And also know 
let me mention again, just to emphasize this, and also know when it's something that's outside of your knowledge and when yeah. to get to a doctor or a hospital or a clinic. You also have to know that too. Right. And that goes back again to that discernment podcast, which is so important. And then, you know, you give us some rules, like when we're, we're treating chronic conditions, you know, we're going to touch into that just very briefly, but allowing, you know, we say in acute three to five doses. Well, then in the chronic, you got to give those eight full weeks. Six to eight weeks. That's yes. right. Six to and eight watch. weeks. And yes. watch. Don't watch the hourly changes of a chronic illness. Don't let yourself do that. Distance yourself and allow those eight weeks. That's right. Well, people often tell me between appointments, I just want to give you an update. Well, no, the update is in six to eight weeks unless there's a crisis. Now, if there's a crisis, by all means, we may have to make adjustments. But if what, what oftentimes people are saying, well, now the itching is not so severe, does that mean the remedy's working? Well, possibly. I hope yeah. so. Yeah, might be, might be that, you know, you just, the child wasn't exposed to as much mold recently. So we won't know until we have that time so that we can observe from a distance. Well, and especially in the case of women, we have our hormone, our, our monthly cycle, and that throws a wrench into a lot of stuff where part of the month you're better and part of the month you're worse, and you don't know until six weeks to eight weeks covers one and a half, maybe even two cycles. Right, exactly, exactly. And that's important. Okay, so kind of shifting subjects a little bit, Joette, we have a little time and I want to jump into it. I'm, I have seen a lot of discussion out there about classical homeopathy versus the protocols and saying, and you know, word of mouth that the protocols can actually suppress symptoms in the way that antibiotics suppress symptoms or drugs can suppress symptoms. And let's talk about that because that's a really scary statement to think that our beloved homeopathy could be doing damage. Well, let's start with this. Homeopathy is relatively safe. Okay. You can make a mess of things with homeopathy. There's no doubt about it. That's why I'm so clear when I try to teach these protocols that you understand what you're getting into and what you're doing and how to use them and when to stop. So I hope that I make it clear. I believe I am. People come back and ask me questions and I can see that they do understand. So, um, but if I've not, allow me to do so here. It is very important that the protocols be followed precisely if you're going to be using protocols. Now, if someone takes a homeopathic medicine and it is incorrect, you're taking it for eczema and what it really is is, um, I don't know, lupus, okay? And you start taking these medicines and you take them and take them and take them and, and you insist that this must be eczema. Then you can make the, the remedy may indeed cause what it was intended to correct. You may end up with eczema. So now you have lupus and eczema or mm -hmm. other conditions that could be um, um, brought out by using the incorrect medicine. But that's not, I believe, what the classicals who criticize these pro the Banerjee protocols are saying. I believe what they're saying. Well, go ahead. Sorry, I just want to interject real quick. It goes back to something we talked about in our last podcast, and that is, you know, the protocols are like recipes, but you can still mess up a recipe if you yes. read it wrong or someone tells you the recipe wrong. And so that's why I'm so adamant about telling people on Facebook who are sharing protocols, you know, even in the Students of Direct Calibri's Facebook, you really want to take the courses yourself and know those protocols for yourself because it, 
you don't, you don't want to get the protocol wrong or interpret the recipe wrong because homeopathy is relatively safe. It's medicine. It's medicine. It's not herbs, not vitamins, not supplements, not essential oils. Right. It is medicine. So it has to be taken with a, a, with a great more respect. So what I'm hearing sometimes is that if you repeat a medicine daily, that that can suppress. And I couldn't disagree more. Okay. That's number one. Number great. two is that, yes, go ahead. What? No, I think that's great. That's great okay. news. Yes. Okay. Okay. I couldn't disagree more because I see the outcome. The Banerjees have seen the outcomes of using them frequently. I also saw the outcome when I was a classical homeopath and I used these uh, used homeopathic medicines and I would give a dose and wait six weeks or give two doses in, tw in 12, uh, 24 hours or a third dose in 36 hours and then wait and wait and wait and wait. And there were times when it was perfectly clear to me that it was important to repeat it. But my education told me not to repeat it. So what the Banerjees have done is given me permission. They've opened up my world and the world of many homeopaths, I believe, throughout the world to, yes, utilize, use it more frequently because it needs to be met with the condition more frequently. Because if we wait too long, the condition starts to clear up for a little while, and now we wait we're week four, week five, it starts to come back again. Week six, holy cow, here it comes back again. Got to wait till week eight. That's classical. Got to wait till week eight or, say, or even week six. Now you can give it again. Holy cow, who's going to wait that long? Who's right. got that kind of time? Right. We live in a fast-paced world, and people don't want to wait for things to 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 unfold. And indeed, it may work with, I mean, it does work. Classical homeopathy is a beautiful medicine, but it often takes too long. And we have such a better method by using these, these homeopathics in more frequent, in greater frequency. Mm -hmm. Now, that also harkens back to companies such as Highlands Homeopathics, or Boron, or Washington, um, or Hahnemann Pharmacy that make yeah. combination, Helios, that, that manufacture combination remedies. And I had been trained, when I was trained classically many years ago, don't ever use combination remedies. Well, that's great. But what that does is it keeps a huge segment of the population out of using homeopathy. And I abhor that. It means that curing and the ability to correct disease then can only be in the hands of classical homeopaths. Well, good luck, folks. There aren't very many, number one. Number two, they often don't share the information. They don't tell you what they're giving you. Mm -hmm. um, and they make it a, a kind of medicine that is only within the hands of a few. And I don't like that kind of thinking. Well, it's interesting. I, I have been to a classical homeopath um, before working with you, Joette, and, and um, he, he's... Um, He's a great homeopath. I think he's done a lot of good in the world, but he wouldn't tell me the remedy that, that he wanted to give me. That's very common in classical. And, and it kind of goes back, I think, to what you're saying. Am I right? Yes, it is. It's, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's keeping it so close to the, to the vest that no one learns it. Mm -hmm. Well, I hate to say it, but I believe that there are classical homeopaths out there who don't want people to learn it. Mm -hmm. uh, they believe it's dangerous. I think in some instances, that's an excuse. 
because there's a lot that we can teach families how to use homeopathy. There's a lot that we can get out there. If we keep it so close to the vest, it will never blossom the way it needs to blossom. Right. And I believe this belongs in the hands of the families. And perhaps, you know, perhaps it also comes down to, you know, every, not every, every homeopath might be a good homeopath, but they're not necessarily good teachers. And that's, no. and that's a burden. I'm a mother first. Mm-hmm. I was a mother first, then I became a homeopath, and I can't wait till someday I become a grandmother because this is what needs to be in every single family. Every mother and grandmother needs to know what arnica is used for. They need to know how to use hypericum. They need to know how to use belladonna and antimonium crude. If they don't know how to do this, then they are in the hand. What normally happens is they go directly to the conventional doctor and get suppressive methods. If they happen to have a classical homeopath by their side, great. But what if they don't? Right. Or what if the homeopath chooses incorrectly? You got to wait six to eight weeks to find out. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. We need to know how to do this ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so... What I like about the combination remedies that are available at Walmart, mm-hmm. hello, shouldn't mm-hmm. it be at Walmart? Why should it not be at Walmart? Right. What is this, esoteric? Right. Is this only for the upper echelon of education? Absolutely not. This is for everyone to use. So if a mother goes into Walmart and says, gee, what can I use for my child's teething or for sleeplessness or my husband's leg cramps? And there's a product that says, homeopathic leg cramps. What do you know? Why should we discourage her from using this? Because number one, it's inexpensive. Number two, it's readily available. Number three, and most importantly, slam dunk, it usually works. Mm -hmm. And if we can give them a medicine that works instead of pain relievers for her husband's leg cramps, we are 50 legs up on, on where they were before they started this. We need to give this message to the world. It's really about empowering families, I think. Absolutely. And, and, and the point of this discussion is to let you know that while homeopathy is relatively safe, as you, as you said, the, the statement that classical homeopathy does not suppress and the protocols suppress is really a sweeping statement that isn't. Yes, necessarily true. That's right, because you can suppress with with classical homeopathy too. They make mistakes too. The risk is in both. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And when we're buying, let's go back to those combination remedies for leg cramps or Mm -hmm. teething tablets or fever or colds and flus or cold calm or there's so many wonderful combination remedies out there. I used to be against them. I'll be honest with you. You may even find something in which I I've been recorded saying that good. 15, 20, 25 years ago, but I've, I've mended my ways yep. because I see how important it is that families have this at their fingertips. And so if only one of the medicines is acting in a combination remedy to help that father or that husband with leg cramps so that he can get a good night's sleep so he can get up and make a living for his family the next day, that's good enough for me just because there might be four others in that combination that are potential, potentially superfluous doesn't mean it doesn't work. Well, I've actually had a friend whose daughter had a, a fever and was not feeling well. Um, and, she, and she was older. She wasn't teething or anything. And she had the, the teething tablets from um, Highlands. Know, yeah, Highlands that they don't sell, sell here anymore because of that controversy. Anyways, 
her older daughter, she just gave her the teething tablet because it happened to have Belladonna and she needed Belladonna. She didn't have Belladonna. It worked. And she of course like, it worked. Absolutely. Because there's the remedy right there sitting right in there and the little label tells us. Now, I wouldn't recommend you to do that. That's not what you do. But in a pinch, all right, it worked. Absolutely. So, so, Joette, just, this is kind of the blazing question. In all your years of, of experience, and perhaps from what you've heard from your colleagues, have you heard of a case where you've seen homeopathy classical or otherwise suppress a symptom that it's absolutely, this, this was suppressed? I have seen a case. Years ago, when I first started studying homeopathy, one of my friends who was far ahead of me in understanding of homeopathy was we were all using only classical, and she gave a homeopathic to someone, and the person got... Um, got sick. They got sick, not with, the, with an acute, it was a chronic condition. And I wish I remembered the circumstances better. It scared the wits out of us because we all believed that it must have been the homeopathic medicine that was incorrectly chosen. I don't know. We still to this day don't know what it was. I, I've not gotten back to that person. I don't know um, what the circumstances are of, of what came of that. But we were under the impression that the homeopathic medicine that our friend chose caused a chronic condition to blossom in this person. I hate to use the word blossom, but to, to, uh, spike, uh, Joette, spike, <laughs> spike. <laughs> and so, and so, so yes, it can happen. Absolutely. It can happen. But for my money, for my time, for my energy, I'll take this medicine any day right. over medicines that we know have side effects. We know must have side effects in order for them to even act and do suppress. If they worked, it means it suppressed. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Now, there are times when we don't mind suppressing. I right. mean, suppression isn't always a, a bad thing. Um, when someone has to have surgery, you're going to suppress the, the, the sensation of pain when they sure. use that scalpel across the, across the abdomen. Of course, it's going to suppress. Let's do that. There may be a downside to that. Of course, there's a downside to it. The person can get sick later on. They can have vomiting from the local an or general anesthesia. They can have nightmares from anesthesia. They can feel spacey from anesthesia. But hello, there are times when you have to do that, and you just weigh the advantages to the disadvantages. Yeah, the but if you're using fine. it without knowing, without understanding how serious side effects can be and how serious suppressions can be by using these drugs for long periods of time or even short ones, then you're walking into the lion's den blindly. Right. So basically what you're, what you're saying is what other options do we have? If you're going to sit in the corner paralyzed by fear that maybe possibly, you know, yes. there's a small chance that homeopathy might suppress and not going to do anything. Right. Well, then you've got drugs and we know right. that that, so it's, it's like go with, the safer option, and we know this is much safer. Yes, that's right. So I like those combination remedies mm -hmm. from Boron, Highlands, etc. I like those. I think that they have they are changing the way we mothers, grandmothers, etc., um, treat our children and our families. It's changing the world, and that's exactly what we want to do. My goal is to reach a hundred thousand households by. 2020. I have it written on this little rock here on my desk that I, I want to reach that many households. I hope I reach many more than that. But that is that was my original goal a few years ago. And that's my focus. I want people to know how to use this stuff. Well, I can't thank you enough, Joette. We have a Moms of Moxie podcast coming out soon with Tina. And she talks about that at the end about your goal and, and how how thankful she is for it. And I too, am thankful. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about not running around like a chicken with her head cut off 
and um, kind of appreciating the difference between classical and the protocols and that, you know, it is relatively safe, basically. Yes, yes. Well, thank you for doing these, Paul. It's always great. You just listened to a podcast by JoetteCalabrese.com, where nationally certified homeopath, public speaker, and author, Joette Calabrese, shared her passion for helping families stay healthy through homeopathy and nutrient-dense nutrition. Joette's podcasts are available on Google Play, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. 